we are beginning chapter 22 today. And we saw in our previous chapter, we see that David is forced to flee from Achish, the king of Gat. Why he went there in the first place, we try to figure that out. What we know for sure is that it did not work out at all. And David is forced to flee once more. And let's see where he lands. It says in verse 1, So David left from there, that is, he left Gat, and he went to the cave of Adullam. And notice it says, it doesn't say that David ran away from Gat or escaped from Gat, like it was written before when he ran away to Gat. Here, when he leaves Gat, it says, He walked out of there. He went away. Why doesn't it say he ran away? He escaped. Because remember what was going on over there. David was feigning insanity. He forced them to throw him out. So he's playing it cool. He doesn't want them to know who he is, that he's David Melech. And he wants to get out of there as soon as possible. Remember, he was playing it as a crazy man, scribbling on the walls, drooling in his beard. And he got himself thrown out of there. So he doesn't want to start running away to show them that he's trying to escape. That would give him away. He has to make it seem like he'd like to stay around. But they're throwing him out. So he doesn't act like he's actually escaping. So it says, Ve'elech, and David walked out of there. He's walking away. He's in no hurry. But of course, inside he's saying, I got to get out of here. And where does he go from there? To the cave of Adullam. And this is a well-known cave near a place called Adullam in the area of Judea, not far from Gath, the Philistine city, because we're talking about the southern portion of Israel. And verse 1 continues, Ve'yishmu'u achav v'chol beito aviv, ve'yadu alav shama. And when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. So David goes to the cave of Adullam and he's joined there by his family. They're hiding out with him in the cave. They leave Bethlehem. Why? Because they're worried that now, since David is hated by the authorities and has officially fled from them, that makes them targets too. Because they can't get David, maybe they'll try to get to his family. And so they also have to flee. Remember, Saul keeps referring to David as Ben Ishai, the son of Jesse. And so they're concerned that he's got something against the entire family. Okay, verse 2. And now we'll see that all kinds of people gather around him. Who gathers around him? He was joined by who? All kinds of people who are in distress. And anybody who had debts. And they couldn't pay their debts. Who else joined him? And all the people of bitter soul or all these malcontents or discontented people... They gathered around him, and he became their commander. And about 400 men were with him. So he's joined by these 400 men. How does that happen? Well, the rumor is out. There's a split between David and Saul. And that gives David the reputation of being a rebel. He's rebelling against the kingdom. That's how Saul is spinning it anyway. And so now it says that 400 men gravitate towards him. And it's not the cream of the crop who's joining him. How are they described? Ishmatzok, anyone in distress. Ish, ashalonasho, anyone who had a debt, some huge debt and he can't pay it. And this is a chance to escape and extricate themselves from a debt and flee society and join something new. And finally, who else joins him? Ishmar Nefesh. Literally, those of bitter soul, malcontents. Those are the ones who join David in the Judean desert. We're talking about people who have nothing to lose anyway. Now, Rabbi Merikahana has a brilliant commentary on this verse because he has a special insight into the phenomenon of malcontents and nuts joining an anti-establishment movement. Since he himself headed movements like the JDL and the Kach movement, he was always drawing towards him all these weird types, 
these dubious personalities. And he had to deal with that all the time. And now he's going to describe in great detail the psychological makeup of the type of people who join, let's call them fringe groups, like the JDL, or they join David in the Judean desert. And this is what he writes. When the word gets out that David represents the anti-establishment, that he's against Saul, in such a situation, there are always people who are bitter, unstable, who hate the system, and it doesn't matter what system, they hate everything, they're anti-status quo, and they actually hate themselves, and they hate their lives, and are incapable of maintaining stability in society. They are rebels in their nature, always looking for an opportunity to join a movement or an individual that will rebel and burn things down. We're not talking about people who want to build, who are constructive. They're not positive. They don't seek to do good or to do the right thing. They're what we call lowly shema. They don't join these groups or act with pure motives. Even if they claim that their goals are pure and lofty and they're fighting against injustice, that's just a facade because they just like to burn things down and destroy. Anyway, the Rav says, these are the types of people who join David. Obviously, not all of them. Some of them really do have pure motives, but most don't. And we see the same phenomenon with the judge Yiftach. He was cast aside by his brothers. And the verse in Judges chapter 11 says that Yiftach was joined by Reikanim, Anashim Reikim, empty people. So again, we have this phenomenon with Yiftach too, where a rebel organization attracts or is a magnet to a certain type of person. So up to now, the Rav is explaining the negative side of these people. You know, it sounds like Antifa types. They just want to destroy. That's the bad side. On the other hand, the verse continues, Vehi aleim sar, but David became a commander over them. So the rabbi says, David agrees to be their leader. He really has no choice. He needs guys. He needs help. And Saul maybe will let up on him and stop chasing him if he's got people around him. But it's the very opposite. Saul will now see David as a more serious threat now that he has this mini militia around him. The verse says he has 400 men, which is a serious number. It's the nucleus of an army. And now the Rav will go into the positive aspect of these 400 men. It says that David was a commander over them. And it's important to understand that it's precisely these types who don't fit in who are society misfits. These are the ones who are willing to fight for you because they're rebellious in nature. And by the way, the Malbim says the same thing. He says, who are these Mare Nefesh, these discontented souls? The Malbim writes, Baal Kas They're angry and frustrated men. And these frustrated types are willing to sacrifice themselves in the battlefield. So continuing with Rabbi Ghana's commentary, he's saying that you can benefit from these people because they're willing to fight. You can direct their rebellious nature to fight for a just cause. And that's what David does. And that's what the verse means when it says that he was a commander over them. He's directing those energies for a good cause. And the Rav continues, and it's not just they're willing to fight, but they're often the only ones who are willing to put it on the line. Because all the normal people, the stable ones, the nice yeshiva boys, the businessmen, they're not willing to put themselves at risk, put themselves in harm's way, and leave their tranquil lives. There's probably a lot of stable good people out there who might agree with David in his struggle against Saul, but they're not going to uproot themselves and leave their families and join David in the Judean desert. The only ones willing to do that are the unstable ones, the ones who got nothing to lose anyway, the ones with problems. That's just the way it is. And the Rav concludes basically by blaming the good people, the stable ones, for staying home, unwilling to shake off those shackles of apathy and uproot their tranquility, and thereby they leave the battle in the hands 
of the crazy and stable types. And this commentary by the Rav really resonates with me because I remember when I made Aliyah into Israel in 1985 and I was totally into Rabbi Kahana. I was hoping he'd be the prime minister. And I had relatives in Kidumim, a settlement. They were really Gush Emunim types, the original settlers who settled the land of Israel after the 67 war. Very idealistic, very intellectual. And when I talked about Rabbi Kahana, they would say, well, look at the people around him. Look at his supporters. Look at those crazies who go with him. Yeah, but is what he says right or not right? Do you agree with his ideas? Why are you talking about the people around him? What about his ideas? Do you agree with his ideas? I mean, if the problem is the people around him, so you join him and I'll have normal people around him. I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking to myself. And that's basically what the rabbi says here. Don't knock the people with him. If you think he's right, then join him and I'll have normal people with him. But again, those people who thought that David was unjustly persecuted by Saul, that doesn't mean they're going to leave everything they've got, leave their families, and join David for a tiul in the Judean desert. Okay, so David is in this cave, the cave of Adullam, but he's not going to stay there long. He goes out of town. He goes to another country, Moab. It says, Ve'elech David Misham. And David went from there, Mitzpeh Moab. He went to Mitzpah in Moab. Ve'yomer el Melech Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Yitzay na avi ve'imi itchem. Would you let my mother and father come and stay with you? Until I find out what God wants me to do. So this is an interesting move. He goes to the king of Moab. Obviously, that's Chutz Laretz. He leaves Israel again. And he requests that the king of Moab take care of his parents until he figures out what to do. Why did he do this? Well, we saw in the previous verse, his family was forced to flee. And now he's got elderly parents. The conditions aren't easy. He can't roam around in the Judean desert going from cave to cave, from place to place with elderly parents. He needs to find for them a safe haven. So he chooses Moab. Why? Because Ruth is his great-grandmother. Ruth was a Moabite. She was a Moabite princess. She comes from Eglon, the king. And Yishai, David's father, well, he's the grandson of Ruth. So there's a real family connection there in Moab. And David's hoping that his folks can find shelter there. And you really have to feel sorry for David's parents. I mean, not long ago, their son David was anointed in their home and they went from being one of the most respected families in Israel and now they're forced to live the life of fugitives. It just doesn't make sense. It's got to cause a crisis in Emunah. They got to be thinking, where is this all going? And in verse four, what happens? Vayenchem. And David left them there. At Pnei Melech Moab. David left them with the king of Moab. That is, he doesn't want them running around with him, escaping Saul. He wants to give him a place to stay. So he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed there. All the time that David was in the stronghold of Moab. So the verse says, as long as David was nearby in Moab, his parents were with the king of Moab. So that's a strange way of putting it. It's saying that his parents were with the king of Moab while David was in the land of Moab. What does that mean? What happens if he leaves Moab? Then they're not with the king of Moab? So we get a tragic answer to this. It says in the Midrash, when David was there in the Mitzudah in Moab, the king of Moab let his parents stay there. But the moment David left Moab and went to his next stop, the king of Moab slew his father, mother, and brothers, with the exception of one brother who escaped to Ammon, where he was saved by Nachash, the king of Ammon. So like we said, since David was descended from Ruth the Moabite, who was a princess from the royal family of Moab, the daughter of Eglon, David felt that he could trust the king of Moab because he's like a distant relative. But the king of Moab betrayed him and murdered his family. 
And the Midrash says, you also tortured Ruth. Now there are some versions that say that David's brothers were not killed, only his parents, and that his brothers joined him in the Judean desert. But still, it's a tragic situation. And Rabbi Kahana explains why the king of Moab would do this. Why would he kill David's parents? Well, it's true that the king of Moab is Yishai and David's distant relative, descended from Ruth. However, the fact that Ruth converted to Judaism is a slap in the face to the king of Moab. It's an insult to their religion that she chose Judaism over the Moabite religion. Ruth, by converting to Judaism, rejected her Moabite heritage. And so the king of Moab is happy to see David asking him for favors. It's like he won this religious battle. Ruth left the Moabite religion for Judaism. And now her descendants are groveling to the king of Moab. And that proves to him that his religion is the true religion. So he murders David's parents, Ruth's descendants. For him, it's like a sanctification of the Moabite God's name, God forbid. And that's why he kills David's family. And David isn't going to forget this. He's not going to let this go. And we'll read in Shmuel Bet in chapter 8, which is all about the wars of David, when David's on the top of his game, he's not only going to defeat Moab, he's going to torture them as revenge for what they did to his family. But we'll get to that when we learn Shmuel Bet. And all this is so tragic. And David has to be thinking, do I need this? I thought I was anointed king. My life would start to get rosy. And it did at the beginning. But look how miserable and tragic my life has become. Okay, so let's get to the next verse. Verse 5. Vayomer, God, and Aviel David. And then a prophet comes along. His name is God. G-A-D, God. And he says to David, Lo Don't stay in the stronghold. That is, get out of this stronghold in Moab. Get out of Moab. Lech ubatalacha Eretz Yudah. Go instead to the land of Judea. Ve'elech David. So David left. Ve'avo yar Chareth. And he went to the forest of Chareth. So the prophet tells him to leave Moab, go to Judea. And David does that. He goes to this place called the forest of Chareth, which the verse says in the land of Judea. And the Radak and the Arabanel explain that this is a good place for him. He'll be with his tribesmen from the tribe of Yehuda, and they like him there. And it's a sign also that eventually he will be king over the tribe of Yehuda for seven years in Hebron, eventually. Now we're going to see he has plenty of enemies in Judea too. There's no shortage of stinkers and formers amongst his own tribesmen, people who are jealous of him. But that's where Hashem wants him to be. According to Rabbi Kahana, what happened was this. David was making a big mistake in the first place by going to Chutz Laretz, leaving Israel. First he went to the land of the Philistines, which we saw was a disaster. And now he goes to Moab. So the prophet God tells David, what are you doing outside the land of Israel? Go to the land of Judea. Go return to the land of Israel, Eretz Yehuda. And so we see from this that it's not so simple for a Jew to leave the land of Israel, even if he's in great danger, even if he's starving. We saw in the book of Ruth that Elimelech left Israel. Also, he went to Moab, and he was severely punished for that. We see that when Yaakov Avinu had to go down to Egypt, he didn't want to go, not even to see Yosef. Hashem had to force him to go, as it says in the Haggadah of Passover, that Yaakov was anus al dibor. He was forced by Hashem to go. Now, it's true that Abraham did leave the land of Israel for Egypt because of the famine, but the sages say, that the famine in Israel was so bad, it was a one-time thing, it was short death, and it was allowed for Abraham to go to Egypt. But the point is that leaving Israel and going to Chutzlaretz, it's got to be a last resort, not a first resort. 
Now, David will eventually leave Israel because he'll have no choice, but it's going to be a last resort after he did everything he could possibly do to stay in Israel. But it became impossible. Saul relentlessly was hunting him down. And only at that point, when there was no choice, he was allowed to leave. And even when David leaves Israel later on, technically he's not really leaving Israel because the land of the Philistines, where he runs away to, that's actually within the borders of Israel. It's just not under Jewish sovereignty. So if you're going to have to leave Israel, at least go there. But again, not as a first option, only as a last resort, because a Jew must do his very best to live in the land of Israel. And this is especially true for the Jewish leader. A private person, like in the days of Elisha, Elisha told the woman to leave Israel because of the famine, and that's what she did, and that's okay. But when it comes to a leader like Elimelech, who was a judge, when someone like that leaves the land of Israel, even during hard times, that's a chilul Hashem. And so that's why in this verse here, Hashem sends God the prophet to rebuke David to get out of Moab, get over to the land of Israel. Okay, so that's the first five verses of the chapter. And now the narrative is going to jump over to King Saul. What's going up with him back at the ranch? What is Saul doing? Well, he's plotting to kill David. What else? And nothing will stand in his way. And we'll see in these next verses, Saul is going to make a speech to his people, which will lead to the murder of the priests in Nov. Another tragic episode.